This is Mercy Harper, writer for research services at APQC. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm here to talk about strategic planning with Charlie Weldon, president and CEO of Family Houston, and Mike Pomeroy, senior program director of Brighter Brights. So if you're not familiar with Family Houston and Brighter Bites, they are two nonprofit organizations that make a huge difference in our community. Family Houston provides services such as mental health counseling, financial and employment coaching, and case management. And Brighter Bites provides fresh food and nutrition education to families not just in Houston, but in locations across the country. And I wanted to have these two organizations on, not just because I'm a big fan of their work, but also because there's an interesting difference between them. Brighter Bites is, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong here, I think nine years old. About right. And Family Houston is 117 years old. Um, Okay, so when when people talk about strategic planning, you hear a lot of assumptions about um, what an organization's age has to do with it. Some people think that older organizations have the foundation necessary to move faster and plan better, while others think that younger organizations have the freedom to do the same. But one thing's for sure, um, over the past year, every organization, especially community-focused nonprofits like Brighter Bites and Family Houston, has had to move really fast with their strategy and operations. So I'm excited to hear both of you share your journeys and tell us how you've stayed flexible in this crazy, chaotic time. So my first question for you both, and um, perhaps, Mikey, you'd like to kick us off, is what does your organization's strategic planning process look like at a high level and kind of your status quo uh, strategic planning process? Yeah, thank you. And thank you so much, Mercy, for for having us. Um, So... As you mentioned, Brighter Bites is very young, and it was just in 2019 that we got a new CEO who came from uh, Cisco Freshpoint. So he was used to a large corporate structure that was nationwide, and part of his goal is to help us grow into a nationwide nonprofit. And so a big, important first step that he implemented with our corporate staff was to make an actual strategic plan. And he brought the corporate team together and we spent hours identifying our priorities, thinking outside the box about what we wanted to become and what it would take to get there, Um, setting some tangible goals, as well as like identifying some tangible barriers. Sometimes there were some barriers that we had lived with without really naming them. And without naming and realizing this is a barrier that we need to get over, we, we weren't ever going to get over it. And so he really helped us break it down to that level. And, and that was the first time that we've had an in-depth strategic plan across three years. So, so that's kind of the sketch of what it looked like. It looked like a bunch of people in a room hashing out these questions that then we put that into a, a, a structure, a spreadsheet, of course. Um, and we have tactics that are assigned to different people in the organization to make sure that we're meeting, uh, these metrics that we've set for ourselves. Very cool. So it sounds like strategic planning itself is kind of new. Um, just a quick follow-up question for you, Mikey. Um, are you guys having, um, so you had your, your big meeting where you, you came up with all the goals. Are you having uh, kind of touch point meetings in addition, sounds like? Yeah, definitely. We, we come together quarterly to 
review things. And we actually just finished a quarterly, it was our first in-person meeting in over a year um, at the end of last week. And we touched on on our strategic plan again and how we need to update it for a new year since we're in a new calendar year. And so, um, yeah, it's an ongoing process. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so Charlie, could you tell us about Family Houston's strategic planning process? Sure, and I also would like to say thank you for um, having me on today. So for Family Houston, as you mentioned, we're 117 years old. I've actually been with the organization for a little over five and a half years. So when I walked in, at this, I was joining an organization rich in history and one of the first nonprofits um, it, that was founded in, in Houston. And there also were team members that had 40 years, 25 years, 15 years of service to Family Houston. And I was walking in with very little knowledge of the organization and making sure that I understood all that rich history so I knew where we came from so I could figure out where are we supposed to go. Sometimes nonprofits that have that much history, sometimes we get into things that we're not supposed to be doing or might not be part of our path moving forward. So really being able to assess what are our strengths you know, what are our weaknesses, opportunities, threats? And for me, I really wanted to understand everybody's viewpoint. I walked in with a team of 75 individuals and I invited all of them to the table to some extent to be able to share what were their dreams and aspirations? What were their strengths? How did they feel their programs were, were working? Along with joining, you know, with the board of directors to be able to look at, um, you know, what, what were our core programs and what might we be doing that somebody else down the road is doing better than us? Because I think part of the strategic planning process is when you do it is really having a heart to heart talk with yourself on, is this a strength or is this a weakness? And so through that process, we decided to let go of some things and concentrate on other things. And we came to what is today our three core competencies as you mentioned earlier of the mental health, basic needs, case management and financial strength. And it's something that we look to um, to this day that as we look to grow or as we look for new funding or somebody asks us to grow a program, does this really meet our core competencies today? Awesome. Um, another uh, follow-up for you, Charlie. Um, you, you described how, you know, coming in, you kind of do this strategic reset, re-examine what the core competencies are for other other nonprofit leaders at these these very uh, historied organizations, how would you recommend that they keep a pulse on that? Make sure you're not that you're trimming where it makes sense. How often do you think uh, organizations need to do that kind of st bigger strategic reset? That's a really good question. So you know, obviously, as me coming in with new sets of eyes, it was a, an opting time to really take a, a step back and look. But I think that over time, you can kind of sometimes get the, the true definition of what you're supposed to be doing can get a little blurred as we continuously, sometimes we chase money when we're not supposed to chase money. Um, or, you know, we grow in a way that's not truly to the roots of what we're supposed to be doing. And I think for always having a, a clear connection of what are the client's needs and who else are providing those needs. If nobody else provide, is providing those needs and you're doing it, you know, if you're making the most of those donor dollars, then obviously that feels like that's something you should hold on to. But for, you know, Family Houston, what we realized is we were doing some things that others not too far down the road were doing as well. And when I had conversations with them, they were actually 
doing it better than we were. And, and sometimes, you know, doll, nonprofits, you know, the whole saying is, and I don't know how it's, you know, there's, there's some um, predictions that what COVID might have as far as nonprofits going forward, but pre-COVID, there felt like there was a nonprofit popping up every day. And so it really is around, are we doing something new and unique? Are we doing something better? Or are we doing something that everybody else is doing and we should partner with them more in that process? So I think that going forward, um, nonprofits should be looking at how can we collaborate more? You do what you do really well. I'll do what I do really well, but let's work together to make sure that the client gets all the services that they need. Awesome. Yeah, that reminds makes me think of that uh, blue ocean strategy. Um, I don't know if you've read that book, but um, that's uh, one you hear a lot about in the for-profit side. Um, and that's a really cool take on it. Um, so I want to, I want to turn to COVID now and ask how, you know, of course, operations change during COVID, right? Duh. Um, but how did, does your planning process change? Um, and Charlie, would you mind kicking us off on that one? I'd love to. So it's very interesting as we were doing our strategic plan and we kind of narrowed down, these are our three core competencies. These are the pillars we want to, you know, represent and say, this is our strengths. We also looked at our reach within the community and we have a physical location, but our needs were growing outside of that physical location. We were constantly getting asked through, um, you know, either community partners or the clients themselves to branch further and further out within the city of Houston, which we know is very large. And so our strategic vision was how do we bring our services out into the community instead of getting more individuals to sit at 4625 Lillian, which is where our physical address, how do we get them to sit in the community? And it's very interesting to me, you know, when you look at a pandemic, you've got to look at the bright side. And for us, when it hit back in March of 2020, we immediately was like, oh my gosh, we have to figure out how do we get, how do we bring our services out into the community in a non-traditional way, at least non-traditional way for Family Houston. And so, you know, we very quickly um, uh, were set up with the telehealth services and the uh, Zoom sessions for case management. So it met our strategic vision, but we immediately were able to just kind of, you know, again, I know we're so tired of this word, but I'm going to say it, pivot in the wake of, of a pandemic to figure out how do we make, how do we, how do we stay, especially in, you know, that's what we were founded on. We are founded after a natural disaster. That's what we do. That's what we're known for. And so we're in the middle of a, of a natural disaster. Our clients need us more than ever. How do we make sure that we can be there from day one? And so it took us, you know, about three days and we were up and running in Zoom, up and running with, you know, the telehealth certified to be able to do the, um, actually on the mental health side, you had to get the certified to be able to do the telehealth piece. So I think for the strategic planning piece and the, you know, just being able to really understand it helped us. That was part of our strategic plan. We just didn't know how we were going to meet it with that, that, that specific way we met our, our strategic plan in a, in a way that we hadn't thought about in 2017. Absolutely. And I think you hear, I've heard a lot of organizations, you know, they have like this kind of a digital plan as part of their strategic planning. And when the pandemic hit, it's like, oh, uh, we need to roll that out like yesterday. <laughs> uh, so Mikey, how did your strategic uh, planning uh, approach change during COVID? Um, mostly it changed because we were, we stopped thinking about three years out and we're thinking about three weeks out and three months out. It was much much more condensed in our like window of 
concerns because especially early on, you know, we were all, there was so much uncertainty for all of us. Um, but I'm so glad that Charlie highlighted the classic um, SWOT tool because in our strategic planning, we had identified strengths, weakness, weaknesses, um, opportunities and threats and clarifying those for us was very helpful because when the pandemic hit, we were able to capitalize on our strengths, which I would consider like our food distribution network, the existing ability to deliver food to families in need um, and the opportunity of like a whole lot of people in need um, to pivot, apologies, <laughs> and, um, and immediately change abruptly what we were doing as a program, but meet not we did not meet the need, but but be able to serve the need in a, in a unique way, and and I think that we can credit some of that to the more strategic planning that we were doing before that, so that we could yeah. um, clearly see that that this pivot was still within our mission. It was still serving the the goal of the organization, um, and it also helped us. Uh, it brought into sharp relief our weaknesses um we're we're an organization that does not want to invest in bricks and mortar and trucks in all of our markets we want to rely on partners who already have those things the way that charlie was saying we don't want to reinvent the wheel um, and so we work here in houston with the houston food bank um, and other markets with other food distributors and folks who are able to help us deliver our source and deliver our produce um, those companies were under a lot of stress during the pandemic as well. And they had huge challenges of their own that made us our as a priority program drop dramatically and, and necessitate our pivoting. Um, and so the whole experience was just, it kind of helped us reaffirm our roots and our, our strengths and our, our, our commitment to the model that we have and also helped us find new ways to fulfill our mission, to reach the families that, that we wanted to reach. So, um, so now that we're finally coming out of it, we're getting back into the swing of things and hoping that we can plan, um, plan again for three years ahead instead of just three weeks ahead. Uh, and we feel like we've learned a lot. We have a lot of new tools and ideas that we can apply for, for these upcoming plans. Awesome. Yeah, I just said, this is why I love nonprofits so much is this, you've always got that kind of like guiding, you know, North Star that kind of always tells you what to do. And that brings me to my last question, which is about organizational agility. And this is kind of, you know, your big business buzzword. We've got to all be agile, not just during the pandemic, but forever. Um, and what does that mean for your organizations? Um, Mike, would you start us on that? And then we'll, we'll go to the 117-year-old still agile organization. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I worked, before I worked for, with Brighter Bites, Brighter Bites was sort of born at the UT School of Public Health. And I worked there for seven years before I came here. And so that was a large organization that did not move ag with much agility. And so the first things that I think of when I think of the agility that we've been able to have and that we exercised as in our pivots was that we didn't have to have the buy-in of a whole lot of people. It was a small group of people that with, with one strong CEO who could say, that's a good idea, let's do it. And then we started doing it the next day. Um, so that was helpful and just our, the, the smallness of our organization helps with the, the, the agility. Um, but then there's also, I think some 
I had to learn some things about how it's sometimes good to slow down a little bit. So, cause we pivoted our, our operations rapidly from having our staff work indoors in air conditioning to pack produce to working outdoors where it was safer to be in the summer and in the heat. And we had to quickly like adapt to meeting our employees needs in that and understanding that it was a lot more stressful. And like we had to, even though we were agile in our thinking about how we could execute this, we needed to adapt to the realities on the ground of what our employees needed. And they couldn't just, we had to take some time to make sure that their needs were getting met as well. So, so I guess I learned both sides of, of the agility. I felt like there's some really good benefits to it, but then there's clearly a lot of reasons that uh, wise organizations take their time with some decisions. And how about you, Charlie? So it's, it's interesting. I, I found myself thinking back to, you know, yes, we're an organization of 117 years that over the 117 years, the things previous CEOs faced, and I'm like, what did y'all do? How did you figure this out? What were, what was your decision-making process? And just for thinking back to March of 2020 and, you know, we had a lot of parameters in place. Okay, you know, we have to have our laptops have to be work assigned and they have to have this certain level of things on it. And, and our process is X, Y, and Z. And we don't make exceptions for these rules. Well, when you suddenly are forced to set, you know, everybody has to work from home. And this was before we even had a Zoom license. I was on conference call with the leadership team for hours. And a conference call with a bunch of people for hours is very difficult because you all talk over each other. So it's like, okay, now we need to raise our hand and oh, I can't see you raise your hand. And so just figuring out how to make things work is just to me agility. Like we, we had to recognize that we might not get it right and we might not have all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed in the timeline that we want it, but our, our clients need us and we're gonna build the ship as we go and let's just, we're, we're gonna figure this out. And not every decision that we made on the, on the start was what we kept going forward. Uh, you know, it's the whole, how do you do an intake process from a virtual setting when you're so, you, they're so used to collecting all of this information in person. And now we have to figure out, oh, the client doesn't have a way to bring us, you know, up their paperwork. And so, you know, you've got to set up the e-sign e genie and how do you get all of these measures in place? And so I think for, or to answer the question on agility is sometimes you just got to allow yourself the freedom to make a mistake and just try to do what you can as quickly as you can. And I also agree with what Mike said on, you know, it, sometimes it, it is nice as the CEO of an organization that I kept the board informed of every decision that, you know, I made going forward, but being able to make quick decisions. Because sometimes you just, you've got to make a quick decision and you've just got to go forward and move with it. So uh, but I do sit back and it's like, okay, 117 years, how do I make sure family Houston is around for another 117 years? And it's, you know, I, I honestly hope that this is the last major um, disaster for a while because Houston has had a lot of our uh, challenges over the last five years. I'd like for five years of just calm and quiet to where we can, as Mike also said, instead of flying by a three-week strategic plan, we actually can have a five-year strategic plan. Absolutely agreed. Yes. Um, you know, uh, if any uh, decision makers are out there that can choose, uh, could we spare Houston on uh, a couple of hurricanes, uh, you know, other disasters? I could use a break. 
Um, well, thank you both, Charlie and Mike. This has been awesome. Thank, thank you. you. Both. Um, well, once again, I'm Mercy Harper, and thank you for joining us for this APQC podcast. Please go to apqc.org to learn more and have a great rest of your day.